Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. This is Zach Van Norman with Once Upon a Fan bringing you our weekly podcast. And, of course, I've got Amy Hood, my regular co-host, joining me. Hello, Amy, darling. Hello, darling. How are you? I'm doing mighty fine, actually, mighty fine. Thank you very much for asking. Um, very excited that we finally got to see you know, some Wicked Witch history this week. We have the series finale of Wonderland, which is sad. So, um, yeah, we've got lots to discuss, but yeah, I'm doing pretty good. So, everybody, we've got a pretty long show today. We are going for two hours because we want to make sure that we have enough time to not only discuss the finale of Wonderland, but also the series as a whole, now that we know it's not coming back for another season. And I do want to issue our regular warning that if you want to join us here in the chat room, and it may take you a couple of tries on the refreshing tool to um, get that to happen. We have noticed that in the past that's the case. But if it's not logging in for you, just keep hitting refresh, and I promise in the next couple minutes it should open up. I can see that we've already got some folks who are joining us tonight. Hello to Angie, Lori, and Rose in the uh, chat room. See you guys all there. So let's get right on into this because we've got a lot to discuss. So uh, first thing we want to talk about is uh, last week we had an interview with Richard Hottam, who is a uh, consulting producer on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. He's also worked on Grimm and Supernatural and a few other things. Just want to give Richard another huge thank you for taking the time out to talk to us last week. We were only expecting to talk to him for 20, maybe 30 minutes, and we ended up getting him for an hour. And it was a really in-depth, really detailed conversation with lots of insights and really good stuff that we didn't know, um, like stuff about the Red Queen and how her storyline originally wasn't going to take, you know, the road that it did. So lots of good stuff. Big thank you to Richard, and we will also be having him back, and I will now let Amy also say what she would like to say on the matter. Definitely. I Honestly, just so you guys know how the whole interview thing went down last week, we had asked Richard if we could have him for 20 or 30 minutes. And like that said, that's all that we expected. Well, he graciously responded that he could stay longer than that, which we were thrilled about because usually when you get to interview somebody who's a writer or producer involved with the show, you know, it's very limited. You have to get stick to a very set of uh, specific set of questions. But Richard was so good, and he was so excited to get a chance to talk about Wonderland because it's a project that he loved. And Zach and I did legitimately have a set of questions we were going to talk about, but I think we both got so insanely excited when we were talking to him that we kept, like, jutting off here and there, like, to ask other things that kept coming up. It was just so much fun, and we really appreciate him calling and we're definitely going to have him back because at, we had actually planned the whole last five or ten minutes we were going to talk to Richard about his new project, which is which is a V-Send. Um, it's already had one full season. It's coming back for the second season towards the end of the summer. And we didn't even get to get to it because I don't know about you, Zach, but I totally lost track of time talking to Richard. I looked down, and it was like one minute until the end of podcast. So I was like, oh, whoops. Sorry, but we're definitely having yeah. him back. It was really weird, yeah, because for everybody who, you know, just to kind of give you a little behind-the-scenes action on the podcast here, when we're hosting it, we actually hear something that you all don't hear. We hear a warning um, when we have two minutes before the show is over and then one minute 
um, we have warnings. So we hear that stuff, but you guys don't. And, yeah, when we get that countdown that says there's only one minute left, a lot of times that's why we're so quick to wrap up the podcast because we don't realize that, you know, it's been that long. Um, and like Amy said, we did have a bunch of questions that we, that we had prepared, but we did not get to ask them. Like I was going to ask them about Alice's stepmom and, you know, a few other things that I was wondering about that we didn't get a chance to chat about just because the natural course of the conversation was touching on other subjects, and I wanted to make sure that we talked to them about those things, you know, while they were still the matter at hand. So the good news is that since we are going to have him back soon, um, we will be able to, you know, ask him about those things and get some more information and, you know, some more backstory about what was going to happen with some of those characters. So I'm really excited for that. Richard, again, thank you so much for taking the time out last week. We really appreciate that. Also, I just want to let everybody know, too, um, it is a lengthy process, but we are going to be publishing Richard's interview as a print article on Once Upon a Fans um, really soon. It just takes a long, long time to do the transcription, um, even with you know the software that does it for you, because I know that it exists. Um, you still have to go in and type people's names, and it also doesn't catch everything exactly the way that it's said, so you do have to go in and do some editing. So please stay with us um, because we are going to have that print article, that print interview published really, really soon. It's just a matter of getting everything transcribed from a phone conversation into, you know, a written print article. So I just want to let you guys know that too. Next up, we have some casting rumors for Season 4 of Once Upon a Time, and I think Amy has some more information about that for us. Right. We had heard that Michael Saka, or so it's, I'm the, I always pronounce his last name incorrectly. Zach, you met him. How does he pronounce his last name? It, it, it's, it's Saka. It's like soccer. Saka. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I usually call him. And it's Okay. Anyway, we got the rumors that he was coming. Well, now it has actually been confirmed that he is going to join the Once Upon a Time cast. It's not for this season. probably going to be early on in season four. And Speaking of casting, right at the end of the finale of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, Natalie Abrams, who writes for TV Guide, tweeted, are you ready, Once Upon a Time fans? And I thought she was going to announce, like, Emma Rigby is also joining Once Upon a Time or some other casting rumors. And it ended up being an interview that she was publishing and not that. But, yeah, I've, he's definitely been confirmed that it was not an April Fool's a rumor that that it's just a coincidence that was published on that day, but that he is going to be joining the Once Upon a Time cast. I am so stoked for this. I Me love too. Michael Saka. He, number one, he's a really nice guy. Number two, he brought something. He brought some, there was a quality, some something, some substance in his performance as well that really set that character um, aside, it really he really stood out, as did, of course, um, Anastasia, played by Emma Rigby. Um, he did a phenomenal job, I think. Um, he's, a, he's a very funny actor. He's really comedic. So I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen with him once upon a time, especially because Once is very funny. It's got a lot of cheek to it. It's really witty and got a lot of great humor. And I think that having him on as a regular all the time, I think that he... I, I can imagine him and Hook having some great banter. So I, I'm really excited about this. I agree. I like the Knave as a character. I thought he was really witty. I mean, he wasn't one to 
filter at all what was about to come out of his mouth, and I thought he was just hilarious because of that, and he was really smart. So I think he's going to be a great addition. I do hope that he, that uh, Emma Rigby comes over to once too. I know she's done a few movie projects actually since Wonderland. So I'm not sure, you know, like I said, I'm watching the rumor mill to see if we're going to get her or even Sophie Lowe um, or Peter Godot, who who plays Cyrus. Now, I know in the live tweet, I've got to hand it to them. They live tweeted the finale literally from the time it started on the East Coast straight through until it ended on the West Coast. They were tweeting for like five or six hours straight answering people's questions. And somebody did ask, uh, the actors, do you think that Alice and Cyrus might make an appearance in Storybrooke or in Once Upon a Time in the future? And I believe what Peter said was "Blee" um, or almost definitely or something like that. So I hope that that's true, that they do kind of maybe at least pop in for a visit at some point in the next season. I would love to see that. Me too. That would be something that would not only, you know, connect the two shows even more, but I also just really like the characters, and I'm really sad that we're not going to get to see more of them, especially after the finale. So we'll get to that later, of course. But, yeah, I do want to say, too, that earlier I said that I could see, you know, some good banter between him and Hook. I should probably make sure that I say that I know that Michael Saka is not actually Will Scarlet, the name of hearts. <laughs> I was like, I know that, everybody. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're, like, the same person. I know he's an actor and all that, because I just realized what I said and how that, made, that makes me sound like a crazy person. So, um, yeah, so there was that little bit. Can't wait to see. Um, the next thing that we've got for news is that season three of Once Upon a Time has now wrapped, which means that they are done filming. And it's really kind of weird that that's the case, actually, because I remember when... Remember before Neverland even started, like when Henry had been kidnapped and and taken to Neverland by Greg and Tamara and like all that stuff was happening. We were wondering what was going to go on. Like we're really already at that stage where it's the end of the season. It's crazy to me. Like I remember when the season just started. It seems like forever ago now, but at the same time, it doesn't seem that long ago. I don't know. It's just kind of weird that we're already at the end of season three of Once Upon a Time. Does anybody else feel that way, and like in the chat room or Amy? If it, does anybody else feel like it's a little just strange that we're already coming to season four of the show? It just seems bizarre a little bit. Like I can't believe how fast time is flying. I I agree, and Rose and a couple people are mentioning in the chat room that they agree too. I can't believe we're already finale of this season. Last week we announced that the finale was going to be called uh, There's No Place Like Home, so we have a title now. Now they're done filming. A lot of the actors have put out Twitter pictures and things on Instagram, shots from the rap party that they actually had um, that they held at the Vancouver Aquarium. So I can't, uh, I just can't even believe we're already coming up to the end. We've got I think six more episodes left after this or coming up until the end. I think it's six. I'll have to look at the list again. But uh, it's just, it's gone by so fast. I know it's, we're going to hit that, that hiatus and it's going to be, you know, back to once there's support group time on the podcast for everyone. Yeah. It's yeah. really crazy. Um, yeah. Just really, really weird. And, of course, with season four, I just want to let uh, 
let everybody know and just kind of do another reminder that we will have plenty of coverage for you about Season 4 and everything that's going to be happening because I will be going to San Diego Comic-Con again this year to represent Once Upon a Fan and uh, get to interview the cast and Adam and Eddie again and ask them a bunch of questions. So um, we will have all that coverage for you again in July. Comic-Con this year is July 24th through the 27th. That's a Thursday through a Sunday. Um, And my birthday happens to be July 23rd, so I'm turning 29 years old, and then the next day I'm going to Comic-Con. I'm pretty stoked. It's going to be a fun birthday weekend for me just on a personal level. Yeah, um, pretty excited about that. And if anybody has any questions of stuff that they want me to ask them, as we get closer to Comic-Con, we are going to be taking submissions for things like that. Um, Now, keep in mind that we can't ask them things like, you know, tell us what's going to happen with your character in Season 4, because, number one, they haven't read all the scripts yet to even know. And, number two, they couldn't tell us even if they had. So it's important that we ask them stuff about, you know, either past seasons or, you know, maybe like – shades of something that we see and maybe they'll you know touch on it again more in a future season you know questions just like that so um yeah we'll kind of have a little bit more as far as what kind of questions we can ask coming up later if you're interested in seeing last year's interviews that we did um when i was down there then you can find it on the the once upon a fans youtube channel um we've also got a page dedicated to it uh, with all of the interviews and all of our coverage on onceuponafans.com um you just search for you know once upon a fan Comic-Con 2013, um, you know, in Google or something, and it should come right up for you, or you can just go through the website either way. But we will have all that stuff for you. I'm very excited. Um, hopefully this year I'll be able to talk to Lana Priya without completely losing my sentence in the middle of it. Uh, so, but you know what, though, this year, like I, I'm telling you, like this year, um, it, it, that's not going to be the case. Like this year I'm going to have – all of my questions ready, like, good to go. Like, I've already kind of been figuring out already the kinds of things that I want to ask them about because each character mm-hmm. had a specific storyline and things that happened in them, so we can ask them about that stuff. So it's not going to be like well, last year I had all those things prepared, but then they all walked in the room, and every question that I had for Lana Priya just fell completely out of my brain because <laughs> it's Regina. So, yeah. Um, and right. then also just – mention too that we've got a convention coming up and uh lana priya is going to be there along with a few other folks like somebody that i may know here on the podcast perhaps this summer is huge for conventions we've got staff going to san diego comic-con which is of course our fabulous zach who covered it for us before there's the fairy tales convention in Paris, which we have a couple of staff members going to as well, and that one is going to be huge. And then there's one in Orlando that a few staff members are going to. Yes, Sarah knows Spooky, and I am actually covering Spooky with some other staff, and I know a few of you are going as well. And I told you that as soon as we got information, I'd try and share it with you because I still have a lot of people asking. Um, I did get an email yesterday confirming the prices for Lana's autograph and photo, and each one individually is going to be $50. Just, I don't think I put it on our Twitter, but I did put it on mine. I can add it to our Twitter as well. But it's um, it'll be $50 for a photo op and then $50 if you want to do the autograph. But she's also going to participate in – some Q&A sessions, and those are included in regular admission. So she's going to be there. Rebecca Matter is going to be there, who plays Our Wicked Witch, Selena. 
Sean McGuire is going to be there, who plays Robin Hood, and Lee Arenberg is going to be there, and he plays Grumpy. And those of you who are part of our Enchanticon family that went to Enchanticon, which we covered last November, the Enchanticon organizers are trying to get together kind of a meetup among the people that went to Enchanticon before, and we're also keeping tabs on that. So we'll let you guys know as soon as you know, we hear anything else about it. We are working on trying to work out interviews with Lana and Rebecca Matter and any, you know, any other things. We're going to cover the entire convention. I know I'm like a big picture taker. I'll probably have five million digital photos to post <laughs> once I get back. But this is all like so exciting because SpookyCon comes up at the end of May and all of these conventions, one right after another, are going to fall in between the end of Season 3 and the beginning of Season 4. So there's so much that we can talk about with the actors and, you know, just the whole convention atmosphere. I miss that. I loved, I know Zach did too, we loved going to when we went to EnchantaCon. So these, all three of these conventions, they are going to be just the best time. And we're so excited, all of us that are going to cover them. We can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be a really, like, we've got a lot of stuff coming up over the next few months for Once Upon a Fans. Lots of stuff going on in the Once Upon a Time universe and in our Once or Family community. So we're very excited to be with you all as we kind of go through this journey together still and, you know, see where the yellow brick road takes us. So it's going to be awesome, and I can't wait. And with that, I believe that that leads us into, that is the end of our news roundup because we don't really have a whole lot going on right now. So... Um, let's get into the episode discussion because I've got uh, some notes on, uh, you know, Once Upon a Time, and then Amy will do her usual ringleader job of talking about Wonderland and leading that discussion. So, shall we begin? Okay. Oh, and I do want to say one quick note, too. In the past, you guys on the podcast, um, if you're a regular listener or even if you're a new listener and you don't know this yet, normally what we do is we go through the episode chronologically and we talk about stuff as it's unfolding. And sometimes, you know, we go back and forth between the present-day storyline and the flashback storyline. We're going to do something a little bit different this week in that we're going to talk about the two different storylines as they um, happen chronologically. So we're going to talk about what happened in the flashback first, and then we're going to talk about the present-day stuff, because that's going to give us a chance to really talk about, you know, plot points and storylines and, and incorporate a couple of other things. So we're going to make it just a little bit different. So, and I want to give us um, another shout out to everybody who has joined us in the chat room since we opened it up. I see that we've got a lot of people in there today. So, um, Teresa's in there, Peter Pizza, um, Jasmine, um, Katie, and Sarah. I see all you guys in the chat room. So, I wave at you from afar from the internet wave. Yay, long distance internet wave. Okay. <laughs> so, um, this episode, um, for, let's do an overall review on this. Amy, what was your overall opinion on this episode? I actually loved this episode so much, Oz. I think I squeaked when it showed the Emerald City and the slippers. I was just so excited to see it all. And I don't know, I I, I liked it. I, I There were some things that I had hoped for a little bit more from, but overall, I really liked this week. Yeah, I loved it too. And hi, Jasmine, in the chat room, I see you. Um, I loved it too. Obviously, I've been a, I mean, well, not obviously, but I have been a fan of The Wizard of Oz since I was a small kid. I mean, when I was like four or five, that was my favorite movie to watch when I went to my grandma's house. And my favorite color was red, 
and because of the shoes, I'll admit it, yeah. So, you know, I've really loved it. And I'm with you. Um, I actually I, I did squeak. Um, I may have been a little bit louder than a squeak when I first saw the Emerald City because even though it looks like the MGM film, you know, the 1939 film version of it, it also looked different mm-hmm. enough and unique that I was like, oh, can we please go there more, please? Like, surely we can go again. Like, there must be a a way that we can do that. Um, I would love for that to happen because, um, you know, the only part of Oz that we really saw was, you know, just outside the Emerald City as well as just the Wizard's Chamber itself. And we didn't get to see the rest of the Emerald City. And I, I would like to see that. And, you know, that kind of plays in, and I do want to just reference Once Upon a Time in Wonderland really quick about this, because it's sad to me that Wonderland was canceled because of low viewership, because it, we could have possibly had a show like Once Upon a Time in Oz, and we could have had a regular series there, or in another world, and, you know, Wonderland being canceled after one season, you know, even though it's, I think it's a successful show, you know, storytelling-wise, quality production-wise and everything, I think it's great, it just didn't have the ratings that it needed. It makes me sad because once upon a time in Oz, like, can you imagine? Can we all see the potential there of what could have been or what could be? Oh, my gosh. It would be just so cool. Anyway, that's my overall opinion of the episode. I loved it. So let's get into this. Um, Let's start with the flashbacks. So, of course, the episode starts with a green cyclone tornado thing um, dropping a baby. And, I, and in that scene, too, I don't maybe it was just me, but I swear I saw, like, a, a spinning wheel flying around. I rewound it a couple times, too, on the DVR just to make sure. I swear there was, like, a, a spinning wheel. Like, even if it's not attached to, like, the spindle and everything, there is a wheel spinning around in that thing, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, anyways, it drops a baby, and a woodcutter and his wife take the child up, and it's a girl. And a treetop starts to fall on them, and the baby girl uses magic to push it away. Now, I found that very interesting because we have never seen, like, another baby before except for Emma. And since and when she was a baby and she was in our world, I mean, you know, she was only in the Enchanted Forest for a few minutes before she got sent to Maine. So she never really had a chance to show anything like that. So I'm wondering if that's unusual for a baby to demonstrate that kind of magical ability, like, that young. I mean, maybe a crazy thing for me to sit here and wonder about, but it, it is something that I'm wondering about. So, yeah. I get the impression uh, it, that it is. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, we saw Regina as a baby, and we've seen, you know, like you said, we saw Emma. We only got a flash of Regina. But it seems like, you know, from what we saw, she had to be taught magic later on, and she was surprised when she was first able to do it. So it doesn't seem like it's something that any of our characters were born with. Zelina clearly appears to have been born with some kind of inherent power. And I'm assuming that came from a parent, but if she is Regina's older sister and she had her before, then that means Cora had her before Cora even learned magic. So I don't know. That, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to see where it goes. I still, I don't think at all that Rumpel's her father, but I'm starting to think that whoever her father is has got to have some sort of magical abilities, you know, inherent to him because of that fact that she was born magic. But see, here's the thing with that, though. Like, I've been thinking about that, too. 
Because I think it would be super lame if Selena ended up being Rumpel's kid, like if Rumpel was her dad. I just I think that'd be lame. However, I don't know who else it could be. Like, because young Cora, as far as we saw, only interacted with Rumpel and, you know, her husband, Henry, and his family. And, like, you know, okay, so White's mom, Eva, and stuff. Okay, cool. We never saw her interact with another person, even though it's obviously possible that that did happen and we just didn't see it, kind of like how Rumpel was teaching Zelina and Regina at the same time and we just didn't know now, apparently. Um, it still just seems weird. And it seems like if, if Zelina were so powerful from the get-go, then it would be natural that Rumpel would be her dad because he is so powerful. But, of course, Rumpel just may be the red herring in the situation, and maybe her dad is like Merlin or Jens is a sorcerer, <clears throat> or, um, you know, somebody <laughs> like that. So I'm really interested, though, because that that is something, like, we, that question needs to be answered, and obviously it's going to be answered in uh, two weeks, because not next week, but the week after is when we have the episode Bleeding Through, which is um, a flashback episode with young Cora, Rose McGowan is coming back, it was written by Jane Espenson, and... Something else, and I'm failing. Oh my God! I'll get the name in just a second. But um, yeah, that's going to be in two weeks that we'll get to find out uh, the whole history of Zelina and who her parents are, and who, well, really, who her dad is, because that's the one that matters. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I can't wait. Okay, it was written by Jane Espenson and Daniel T. Thompson. There we go. I want to make sure that I give credit where credit is due. Um, all right, so getting back into the episode discussion here, um, the woodcutter and his wife name the baby Zelina, and they take her with them to the Emerald City. I'm just going to say again, I loved it. And then um, the flashback flashes forward to a grown-up Zelina shaving her father, who bears a striking resemblance to Robert Carlyle, I have to say. At first, I thought that she was shaving Rumpel, then that it was back in the present, and it was actually the past, and that surprised me. Yeah, I... I think the way they had his hair and everything done did resemble Rumpel, and that actor in real life does not look anything like that. I actually shared a picture of him with Zach. He has very short, dark hair, so they specifically made him kind of look like that for the part. So I don't know if that means anything or, you know, that that just happens to be the Aussie style for that that time frame, but... Yeah, I thought so, too, when she was first shaving him. I don't know how I feel about that whole shaving thing. It's just, I don't know, having your daughter shave you seems a little creepy. <laughs> That's my it's opinion. It's very creepy. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's very creepy, so I'll, I'm just going to leave it at that. So um, she's shaving her dad. He looks like Rumpel. She finds out that she is not his daughter. He calls her wicked and tells, you know, tells her the truth about where she came from, and he tells her to put on a good face. And then Delina decides that she's going to leave to find the one person who can help her find the family that wants her. Ladies and gentlemen, she is off to see the wizard. Only without the music and the singing. Only without, yeah, only without the music and all of the creepy. So, um, <laughs> going with that, because seriously, it's creepy. But isn't it interesting, though, that she said right there, like she basically just explained what her whole motivation is for what she's doing. She's looking for a family that wants her. Mm-hmm. And she is so enraged by her rejection of, by, you know, Cora that, you know, she's just taking it out on Regina. But, oh, I mean, 
there are a lot of parallels, and Regina and Zelina, even besides their names being really similar, they have a lot of similarities. And in fact, in this episode later on, when we're talking about the diner scene, she has some dialogue that exactly mirrors something that Regina has already said. So I'll make sure that I point that out here in just a second. So uh, we see that Zelina has arrived, you know, afterwards, you know, in the flashback, remember, as we continue forward telling the flashback part of the story. After Zelina decides she's going to go see the wizard, the next time we see her, she has arrived at the wizard's chamber. And can we just take a moment to recognize either the set, whether it was the set design or it was the special effects with the blue or green screen, I don't care. The set for the wizard's chamber was awesome. Totally awesome. Uh, yes, yes. I was going to say the same thing. That was a, the whole, everything Ozzy in this episode, I was, Giddy. In fact, I even turned to my husband. I was like, oh, my God, I wish that was real. I want to go there. It looks so good. I don't know. And like you said, I don't know if it was green screened in or if it was a set build or how they did it because I haven't really seen behind-the-scenes pictures from this episode. But I love the exterior way the Emerald City looked. I loved the set of the Wizard's Room. I thought it was so great and such a throwback to the movie but also it had yeah. some, you know, some parts about it that were very original, and oh, I just loved it so much. Yeah, and you know what I liked the most about it is how much it incorporated gold. It wasn't just a green room with, you know, different shades of green and everything. It, was, it had a lot of gold in it, too, and I loved that. It made it – it really gave us some accents. I can tell you that the set, like, a majority of that set was CG. It was special effects. I can tell you that because, I mean, I could see it. Um, but there were some things that I wasn't sure, like the towers that have, like, the green water with the bubbles, which I loved that. Yeah. I loved those. I can't, I honestly can't tell. I don't know if those were props or if those were um, CG or not. I'm having a difficult time telling. I can, I mean, for the most part, I'm pretty good at spotting when something is real or not, just because, I mean, I go to film school, so that's when I'm learning to do these things. But, um, but, yeah, I don't know about the little green bubble towers. Those, I don't know if those were real. But that set was just phenomenal fantastic design i love the fact that the wizard is still like he is the man behind the curtain still but he's like talking mm. projected on the curtain oh oh oh! and then they had like the four like geysers of flame shoot up just like in the original yes. you know 1939 movie the mgm movie i loved it, it and was that was the title really card cool. too i loved that yeah, it was. i thought it was great too and especially because of the way that once you know, it starts with the O, and then in the original movie, the wizard's head is like that kind of round, weird shape. So I yeah. thought that it really played well. It made me think specifically of that. Like, it made me think of the wizard's head behind the fire in the 1939 movie. So, yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, so, while, you know, when she's there, she, he reveals, you know, the wizard reveals Lena's past and her sister Regina in the magic TV that he's got built into his floor. Okay, cool. So <laughs> he and and there and something. This scene actually kind of confused me when we got to the end and we found out who the wizard was and everything. Which we'll talk about that in a second. I promise. But there's something weird about the, about this whole thing, and I don't know. It was just weird. Anyways, he gives um, Zelina the silver slippers and tells her that they can take her where she wants to go, but she has to bring him something of Rumpelstiltskin's. So she travels to Regina's castle. And she performs the task that Rumpel had given Regina. And Rumpel arrives thinking that it is Regina, but it's Zelina. And she tells him that she's Chorus firstborn, and he doesn't believe her, so he takes one of her hairs, which is so 
from the first season when he took the hair to make the true love potion in the first place. Um, so he took those and found out that she was Cora's daughter, and then they go to the woods. He tells her about the dark curse and needing to get to the other land, and she passes her first magic test where she's blindfolded and she has to find him. And wasn't it, Amy, didn't you think that shot, and anybody in the chat room too, feel free to agree or disagree, that shot where it's Rumpel looking right into the camera before he actually pulls the blindfold up? Oh, my gosh, that was so creepy. So hey, creepy to see Rumpel yeah. up close and personal that way. Wow. Yeah, and it was really close than we usually are on him because you could see how detailed his makeup job was and his creepy eyes. I mean, I love Rumpel, and I think he's fantastic. I was like, whoa. Yeah, especially the eyes. I think it, yeah, it was Katie saying that was a creepy Rumpel, not a sexy Rumpel moment. That was definitely a creepy Rumpel moment. And I think I love Rumpel. I think he's gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. And just, you know, from a technical production point of view, I'm actually going to talk about that. Is anybody else noticing that this season in Once Upon a Time, they're using different camera moves and things that are making the show feel and look and seem different? Like, that's not the only shot either, because they've never done a close-up. That is it. That's what's called an extreme close-up. Uh, well, actually, no, I guess that'd just be a close-up, because it's not just on his eyes. So it's a, it's a, it's a close-up. But they've never done a shot like that before. And then later on in the diner, there's a there the way that the camera is moving is very floaty and it's very different too and that's actually very similar to a shot in, in the Wizard of Oz movie but I'll get to that when we actually get to that part of the of the episode review. So um, so they're in the woods and she passes her magic test and he tells her about the magic pies that the spinsters used to make him as a child and I thought that was a really nice moment to show you know, to give Rumple a little bit more depth and to show, like, more of that side of him, especially because we only saw young Rumpelstiltskin once, you know, in the Neverland storyline, you know, kind of pulling, by mentioning the spinsters and everything, not only does it reference that and, you know, kind of bring that full circle, but it also gives Rumple a little bit more development, and I really like that a lot. Small things make, you know, small, the beauty is in the details, folks. It's all in the small stuff. So... Um, she passes her test and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, she's back at Rumpel's Castle, and she's made him some meat pies. And she's wearing this lovely, gorgeous red dress. Isn't that interesting? And she's also a red head, I will point out, too. Um, he declines her meat pies, though, because he has a lesson to teach Regina. And she, Rosalina, like, freaks out on him. And she starts to turn green from envy because she thinks that she should be the one to cast Rumpel's curse and not Regina. And okay. he tells her, you know, ba- like basically she, you know, kind of just disqualified herself because she, yeah, anyway. So then she goes to Regina's castle to kill Regina. And she finds her and she stabs her in the neck, but, oh, it's Rumpel in disguise. Ha-ha, joke's on you. And he mentions <laughs> the dark curse again and needing to get to a land without magic and tells her that she has disqualified herself from casting his curse because she loves him, and, that's, and she has to sacrifice the thing he loves most. And I, didn't you love his line of dialogue when he says, you love me? It's okay. I have that effect on women. Considering yeah, how many women yeah. I know who love Robert Carlyle, including our own Laura Foster, among others, um, yeah. I was cracking up. I was, I, I was cracking up at how, because that is so true, and so many people go crazy for him over Twitter and everything else. That was just, like, such a tongue-in-cheek line. I loved it. 
I thought it was awesome. I loved that line too. And I was, I'm glad he threw that in there too, because that's one thing I, I meant to mention in the news was that there was an interview with Eddie and Adam that came out this week. And they did confirm that Zelina's curse had the same requirements that the curse had before. Something had to be sacrificed and it had to be the heart of the thing that was loved most. And that kind of falls in line of what I think the deal is with her and Snow's baby. But I love that Rumpel threw that in because then, I mean, if she actually loved him, he seemed to be the only thing that she loved or obsessed over at that moment. So, you know, obviously he doesn't want to be the thing to have to sacrifice his heart. So she was disqualified. But I thought that line was hilarious. There were so many good lines this week. I just really loved this episode. Oh, my God. So much Oz, so many good lines. The story was good. I, I, I love it. I loved it so much. I have a theory on the heart thing. Yep, I think I know who it is, but I can't actually bring it up yet because we need to get to that scene I was just talking about in the diner where Zelina has a line of dialogue. Once I talk mm-hmm. about that, I, then I'm going to bring up what I think is the deal with the heart because I, I, if I'm right, it will make complete sense. So there, there's a reason for it. There's a, there is a reason, and there's definitely, yeah, there's something that can happen with that. Okay, so I'll say that for later. So... Zelina shows Rumpel the, the silver slippers after he says he needs to get to land without magic. And she tells him that she could have taken him wherever he needed to go. And, of course, right away he's like, oh, okay, well, you're my friend. You know, you're totally awesome. You're my friend again. Let's do this. And she's like, right. I'm not that naive. You know, I'm not taking you. You know, you, you just chose Regina over me. And he says, you know, hey, um, you know, I, I was hating My you. bad. Yeah, and she's like, oh, no, like, oh, no, nope, like, like I'm, not, I'm not a fool, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to, you know, you are going to choose me, you know, like, this time, and she disappears, you know, she clicks her heels, and she disappears, and she goes back to the Emerald City, and, of course, she goes to the wizard's chamber, and tears down the curtain to reveal that the wizard is Walsh. I didn't see that coming. Not I was at surprised. All. Me and when yep. I saw the top hat through the curtain, secretly was kind of hoping with my fingers crossed for a few minutes that it was actually the Mad Hatter that somehow they had tied him in. Because um, when we had Richard on last week, for those of you who didn't listen, he said that the reason, or, or originally when the script was written for Wonderland where Will gets trapped in the lamp, they, that scene was supposed to end with a tornado coming, picking up the lamp, and dropping it in Oz. So we were going to get some Oz in Wonderland, and then it ended up getting rewritten. But I thought for sure it was the Hatter for a second, and I was super excited because you guys know how I feel about Alice in Wonderland. But I did not see Walsh coming at all. I had no idea. Me neither. I would have expected to see James Franco first before I would have seen Walsh because he just played the, you know, he played the wizard in Oz the Great and Powerful. And that was very similar. So I thought I was going to be looking at James Franco instead. So, yeah, she changes him into a flying monkey. And, and that's when we get the hint, of, you know, at the end. I mean, because, and, of course, because the way that the show is structured and it goes back and forth between the flashbacks and the present-day stuff – at this point, we had already figured out kind of what she was going to try and do. 
But she basically, you know, Zelina's looking into the magic floor TV, and she's watching Regina and Rumpel, and she says that this time they're going to do it again, and this, you know, and that Rumpel, you know, or that Regina will have never been born this time. And that's what, and that's the kicker, because she also says the same thing to Rumpel in the present day storyline. So let's get into the present day stuff so we can kind of get into that a little bit too. So in the present day, this episode opened with Neil's funeral. Mm. Or a supposed funeral, because as I've stated before, and I will say it again, I will not accept that Neil has died until season three ends and nobody else is dead. Only way that I'm going to accept it. I will fly my Swanfire flag until the end, folks. I have no shame about that whatsoever. I realize that they've already said that Neil's death is going to be the one to stick, yada, yada, yada. They've got to say all kinds of stuff to keep us off the trail, guys. I'm just saying. I, I will not accept that until... It wouldn't be until... the first time. <laughs> no, it would not. So I'm just saying I will hold on to that hope. I, there's always hope. And, and if anything is possible in Wonderland, then it sure as heck is possible in Once Upon a Time. So that's all I'm saying. Um, the main characters, of course, take their turns pouring dirt onto Neil's, you know, quote, air quotes, coffin. Um, Emma holds her swan necklace before she drops hers. And meanwhile, in one of the most tragic things that has ever happened to Rumpelstiltskin, he is being held prisoner by the Wicked Witch and cannot attend his son's funeral. Heartbreaking. Yeah. And he feels like, you know, he grabs his chest, like when the dirt's being thrown onto the coffin, like it, almost like he can feel it hit him. So yep. he's, I mean, he's like emotionally experiencing it and he can't be there. It was really sad, but not as sad as yeah. it would be if, you know, Neil was really dead, which I don't think he is. So. No, I don't think he is. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then after the funeral, of course, they're having a wake at Granny's Diner, and Emma is throwing darts, and the darts are red, by the way. If anybody, you know, if you're a regular listener, you know how, you know what red means. Red means power. Emma's throwing red darts. Homegirl's pissed. All right, so... <laughs> She also talks with Hook about taking down Zelina. Did anybody else notice that uh, Emma's clothes kind of look like chainmail, like the kind of thing that a warrior soldier going to war would wear on, like, Game of Thrones or even Once Upon a Time? Can't help but yeah, notice that that's what her shirt looks. Looks a little armory to me. Yeah, homegirl's going to war. You know why? Because she's pissed. Because you know what? He ain't dead. So, um... <laughs> Hook offers to watch Henry and help him kind of process Neil's death, air quotes, death. Also, in the same scene in the diner, Regina introduces Tinkerbell to Robin Hood. And when I saw the three of them talking, and I even tweeted this out as a joke, it, it is, it's like a joke. It's like the evil queen, Tinkerbell, and Robin Hood walk into a bar, but instead <laughs> this time they walk into a diner. Like, it's the best joke ever, ever. Like, that's yes. one of the fun parts of the show is seeing these three characters interact. Look at that is such a great conversation. I absolutely loved it. Um, Tinkerbell also mentions that Regina's life wouldn't have turned out the way it did if she had been more open to love in her life. And Regina says, how did my life turn out? And Tinkerbell can't give her an answer. Now, I just got to point out, you guys, that line is significant because of the fact that we know Zelina is going to try and undo time and basically erase Regina from existence. Well, that's my idea anyway. That's what I think she's trying to do. She's trying to uh, totally change the past, and Regina will have never been born. So 
for her to say, you know, how did my life turn out, and now we're talking about Regina's life and everything that she's done in it, that's some, that's some foreshadowing. But, uh, in one way or another, that was a very significant line of dialogue. So I just wanted to point that out. Now, at the wake, of course, that right after that, Zelina arrives. And first she tells Charming that she's not there for the new baby, today at least, which means she is coming for that baby eventually. We all knew that, but still, that she's very plenty. Zelina also reveals her sisterhood with Regina, challenges her to a duel in the street, which I love. And this is the scene that I'm talking about that I was mentioning earlier. First of all, the camera movement in this is very floaty, and if you watch, it kind of goes at, it goes from one angle and kind of move like the camera's positioned in a way so that it's kind of like it's not straight, like it's not centered. They're kind of crooked a little bit, and then the camera kind of floats, and then they become crooked the other way. That camera movement is exactly what it looks like in the Wizard of Oz movie after Dorothy has had her head hit by the window frame when the tornado comes, and she's laying uh-huh. on the bed. And it's got, like, that, the double image of Dorothy when she's asleep, and then it's all, like, dreamy. That is the exact same camera movement in that shot that they were using in the diner. So they don't just use things like lines and, you know, it's like characters or props or sets or setting, you know, locations or anything from the stuff. They use actual technical stuff in the show, too. So that was one thing I want to point out. The other thing I want to point out is this. After Zelina tells Regina that they're sisters and Zelina, or Regina just can't accept it, Zelina says that it's a lot to handle. That's why she brought her a gift. And Regina says, I don't want a gift from you. And Zelina says, oh, but you shall have it. Yes, I love it. My gift to you is this sad, sad day. You guys, that is, exa- that is almost verbatim what Regina said to Stone Charming on their wedding day in the pilot. She said, remember, she said, Snow said, we want nothing from you. Regina said, but you shall have it. My gift to you is this happy, happy day. Now we've got Zelina saying, oh, but you shall have it. My gift to you is this sad, sad day. These two sisters are very alike. And that's what I was referencing yeah. earlier as far as the, the dialogue in this scene. They are very similar. Now here's where I also think it comes into play with the whole heart thing. In order for Regina to enact the curse, she had to kill her father. So I think that in order for Zelina to enact the curse, she takes revenge on the woodcutter and she takes his heart. She takes her fake dad's heart. Because just see, because she I, was hurt by him and she went to go see the wizard and all that, you know, in this episode, that doesn't mean that she does not love him. That does not mean that. All it means is that she was hurt and angry. She very well right. could love him as her father, and the, and the parallel then would be exactly the same between her and Regina. They would both kill their father in order to enact the curse. You see where that's, you see where it's going, everybody? See? See, I I like that idea because then, I mean, that could be just similar to Regina wanting a child and getting Henry, Selena wanting a child to fill that void in her heart, and wanting Snow's baby because it's obviously the first one available since they don't have a Babies R Us marketplace in Storybrooke. But I do like that idea because I was thinking that maybe she had to sacrifice either a child or someone she thought of as a child in order to enact her curse. But I think I like your theory more because if that's what she did, then that parallel would be great. And, I mean, I can see, 
you know, if she does take that baby and then having her name it the same way Regina did, naming the baby after her father. I think that would be interesting to see. Oh, I like that. I like that, Zach. I think that might actually be my next theory that I, like, you know, write out and post on the website because I'm pretty sure just because the parallels now between these two, it's too obvious. Um Especially at the end, because of the fact that Zelina is going to try and totally change time, because she's trying to change the past. Um, uh-huh. I think I think that, and you know, I I think that that is. I wonder about that. Like, I wonder if it's going to be a case where the curse gets cast, but somebody does something to like stop it, so it's a little bit different. Or so I don't know. It's that's a little bit too close to Pan's curse coming and Regina stopping it. But at the same time, mm-hmm. they're mirroring so many things that have already happened, and they're you know it's kind of like it's kind of like a poem, like you know they're rhyming everything that I feel like they might just be creating another rhyme in the story, so to speak. So um, also too, the shots that I was talking about earlier, because Rose asked in the chat room, she asked if those are called Dutch shots. Those are what I know. I know them as canted shots. They're they're canted. They're not straight on forward. They're actually canted. So. You want to know what that is, and you want to look up a definition. Um, I'm sure Google will have something that can explain that far better than what I'm doing right now with the podcast. But yeah, they are known as a canted shot. That's what I know them as. Um, so then, uh, let me see. Where's my nose? Okay, there we go. So then, Hook is hanging out with Henry at the docks. Cool. While in the diner, everybody is discussing what Zelina has just said after she takes off, and there, and Regina had two lines in this scene that I thought were hilarious. First, when she tells Charming that I think I would remember if my mother told me she had a love child with a scarecrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was laughing so hard. I was laughing so hard. And then also when Granny is like, and then there's the missing year. Maybe you did something to her then. Regina's like, stick to the lasagna, lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. So good. It. So, so then, smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, stick to the lasagna lady. It gives it some kick. Um, so then Regina leaves to go find proof that Zelina is her sister. And, of course, she goes to her crypt, and she finds the letter from Rumpel to Cora. That, and then she leaves. She goes to the woods, and she runs into Robin Hood, where she tells him about the contents of the letter. And if I didn't already ship Outlaw Queen just as hard as I could ship anything, I definitely was after this episode because those two together, number one, have ridiculous chemistry, and number two, they are just so dang cute together. I love it. Yes. I do. I like Outlaw Queen, and I mentioned last week that when we first found out he was going to be her true love that I wasn't ready to just jump on the bandwagon. I needed to see some interaction between the two of them first before I decided if it was, you know, if there was chemistry and if that was really something I was going to like together. But I think they do have a lot of chemistry. I think that they're both very strong, and I I feel like they're a good match for each other. And their scenes are really great. Like, they, you know, he gives it right back to her, and they are really good together. Yeah, I agree. And also, I forgot to mention another really funny line that I thought happened in the diner. When Emma and Hook are talking after she's throwing the darts, Hook offers to talk. He says, perhaps I could talk to him. And him, he, by him, he means Henry, of course. And Emma says, about what? Leather conditioner and eyeliner? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was probably my favorite line. <laughs> I okay. that was awesome. I'm absolutely loving it. I, just, I thought that was great. Yeah, great fun. 
great, great fun. Just loved it. Well, she had already so called then, him out in a previous episode about perms and mustache wax or whatever. So it's like, exactly, oh. yeah. And see, that's why, honestly, sometimes, like, because I know there are a lot of people out there who ship Captain Swan. And, by, mm-hmm. and if you do, that's totally awesome. I just, I just, that's not my ship. I don't think that their, their coupling makes any sense, especially because of the fact that Emma, like, mocks him. Like, maybe she's doing it in, like, a teasy, flirty way, but it seems more just like, are you kidding me, dude? You're a ridiculous pirate. Like, I'm not, no, like, get away from me. That's just the way that it comes across. I'm not saying that it's not possible that they are going to end up together or anything. I just don't think that it makes any sense for me personally. I know there's a lot of people out there who ship, you know, Captain Swan or Swan Queen even, and that's totally fine. I, I just don't think that either one of those couples makes sense. But that's just me. I totally understand everybody else's opinion. I'm not judging anybody or anything. I'm just saying what's good for me. That's all. Because, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I had to say that, too, because I had, I've had some feedback recently from people who said that, that, uh, that they think that we're, I'm not being respectful of the other ships, like Captain Swan or Swan Queen or anything. And if there's anybody who's listening who ever felt that way, I mean, I do apologize. I never meant for it to come across that way. I, I'm just stating right. my opinion and what I think. That's all it is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying your opinion is wrong. I'm just saying what I think mine is. That's all. So I just want to right. touch on that for just a second. Um, yeah. So then, uh, you know, after, you know, Regina's talking to Robin Hood in the woods. Emma and Belle and everybody, they tried to break Rumpel out of his cage in the storm cellar. But, of course, Zelina arrives. She stops them. Um, and then Henry and Hook are chilling down at the docks, and Hook is telling Henry about Neil. And it's very sweet. And Henry starts to question how, he how Hook could have taught Neil anything when they're the same age. And I thought that was funny because it's almost like Henry is kind of speaking for the the audience that doesn't tune in every week or maybe new audience members or people who hear about right. the show and are like, how are these people all the same age? I think that that's pretty funny and a pretty clever way of them doing that. And now Henry is kind of, you know, the eyes that see it that way. So he's kind of like, you know, Flynn Rider or whoever it was in that Disney movie when they're like, why is everybody singing? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there was that whole thing. And then after that, we get the shots of Zelina preparing for the showdown. And she's putting on her shoes and her gloves and her dress and her fur and her hat and looking totally fabulous. My gosh, Bex, Rebecca Mater can rock an outfit, can't she? She is rocking that thing like no other. So and the big giant emerald to, necklace. Yes, which I'm telling, I swear that, that brooch, that necklace, that pendant of hers, her talisman, if you will, Oh, my God, it's just like Emma Swan necklace. Oh, I wonder if there's a parallel there, too. Oh, ooh, okay, maybe I just figured that out. Okay, anyway, so there's something to that. It seems to have some kind of significance, because it shows up all the time. Um, maybe it's a horcrux. Uh-huh, just kidding. So then um, Zelina <laughs> is preparing for the showdown. She gets all stiffed up in her clothes, and she arrives down on Main Street. She calls Sneezy Munchkin, which I thought was hilarious. And he says he's a dwarf, and she says that's even worse. Love it. Um, Emma offers to fight Zelina in Regina's place, and Zelina says that she doesn't dance with amateurs, and Emma says, I'm no amateur, I'm the savior. Damn right she is. Um, (laughs) You don't mess with the swan princess. You just don't, lady. Like, Emma may be new to the whole magic thing, but eventually, like, language alert. Eventually, Zelina, Emma's going to whoop that ass. I'm just letting you know. 
So um, Regina shows up, and, of course, they have their little duel, and Regina slaps Zelina across the face, and she's got red gloves on, and Zelina's got green gloves on, and it's like a showdown in the West, and it's a boxing match at the same time because of the gloves and the cat fight, witch fight. God, it was just great. So they had their whole thing, and, and Regina draws blood, which I thought was interesting, you know, because they are related by blood, and there's blood, and it's red. And, and even though Regina has, you know, she had the red gloves on, and she drew blood, notice that? Zelina did not draw blood. Regina drew blood. So, ah. and of course, if you're following the whole thing of red is power, it doesn't matter that Zelina threw Regina through the clock tower, because in the end, Regina didn't have her heart with her anyway, and Zelina lost the fight. So yeah. the woman with the red gloves won. Period. Yep. She definitely won. And, that and, fight. I, and I just want to say, too, and I just have to point this out. After they're up in the clock tower and Regina says that she doesn't have her heart with her, when Zelina says the line of, I will get your heart, Regina, and I will get everything you ever had, the way that Rebecca Mater delivered that line, holy smokes. Just those two lines of dialogue was such a powerhouse performance. I could feel it. It was palpable. It was delicious. I loved it. Yeah. Yes. I can't wait to meet her. I, I think she's fantastic, and she'll be at SpookyCon, and I think, oh, oh my gosh. I'm really excited to meet her, and obviously Lon, too, but I, I think that they're both such strong actresses that it's really situation between them even better on screen because of the fact yeah. that they're both so good. And I loved it. And yeah. a couple of people have mentioned that line was delivered almost like a, a stronger version of the I'll get you and your little dog too line. But it was so yeah. good. I love that whole whole thing between them. Absolutely. I am, I am waiting. Like at some point she needs to call somebody my pretty. She needs to. Yeah. It's got to happen. If this season ends without the Wicked Witch of the West saying, I'll get you, my pretty, or I'll get your little dog or something, like, she needs to threaten Archie. She needs to yeah, threaten him Pongo. because he has a dog. <laughs> He's got Pongo. Like, it's right there. Like, come on. <laughs> Archie doesn't even have to be there. Just go grab the dog, throw him in a scene. She can say the line. You take the dog out, and there you go. That's it. Really quick, it takes you know a couple minutes to film. Anyways, so then um, now there was something really significant, you see, and this is why, and this touches on the curse, because Regina says that Zelina is looking for her heart, and you know Charming's courage, and those are ingredients for a curse. And Snow White mm-hmm. says, but we're here in Storybrooke, and we've lost our memories. What more could she do to us? This is where my theory comes back into play. Because I think, because let's think about this. If Regina had never been born, if Regina had never existed, Emma would never have left the Enchanted Forest. She would have grown up with her parents. Right. Rumpel's curse, and, all, and, you know, and a bunch of other stuff wouldn't have happened. People would be alive, you know, all kinds of stuff. Hell, I mean, even, even Eva, even Snow White's mother would probably still be alive. If not, and so would her dad, as a matter of fact. Like, a lot of things would be different if Regina wasn't around. And I think uh-huh. that that's what Zelina is trying to do. But ultimately, here's the most important part about Regina not being around. If Regina is never born, that means that Henry never is either. 
because he was only born because Emma got sent to our world and she met Neil. So if that never occurred and Emma never left, then Henry is not around either. And Henry is the – and it seems like there's a lot of important characters. Henry is, is probably the most important character on the entire show, if not one of the most. Uh-huh. And, and you don't really think of it that way because he doesn't get a lot of screen time or anything like that. But Henry is incredibly significant as a character. It's very important yeah. what happens to him. And for him not to be born or anything, like, there would be significant consequences to that. So I think the fact that, you know, if they go there and they erase Regina from existence and she's not around anymore, then I think that's going to be a really interesting interesting reset if she, if Zelina manages to go through with it. And it's not like it's impossible for her to change the past because, as we found out in Wonderland, the laws of magic have just changed. And that provides right. us with a perfect egg right on into Wonderland. So, Amy, my love, please lead us in this discussion. Well, before we jump on the Wonderland, because uh, we have so much to talk about with that, with it being the finale, I just want to say that I do agree with Zach. I think Selena's looking for a reset. And like we saw in Wonderland, Jafar needed three things. He needed the three genies. I think Zelina wants to change the laws of magic so he, she can change the past. I think she also needs three things. She needs Charming's courage. I think she needs Regina's heart and either and Rumple's, you know, control over him. Or what I was thinking was that the fact that she has the memories, that that is kind of like the brain part, the way that we saw in, you know, Mirror and kind of Wizard of Oz. So I think that, yeah. you know, she needed the courage of the prince or the courage of a hero, the heart of a sorceress, and either the memories or the mind of the people or a genius. I think those are the three things, the three ingredients she needs to change the laws of magic and to do a reset. And I absolutely think that that's what she is going after. And I don't know if if she'll succeed. If she does, I think it'll be kind of interesting to see as long as Regina's not gone for good because I would really hate to lose Regina from once upon a time. But that's what I think is going on there with the three things that she needs. So I love that. Now, speaking of changing the laws of magic, we saw that happen this week on the finale of Wonderland. So much happened this week. What did you think about the finale, Zach, just in general? Well, first of all, it made me sad because I didn't want it to end. But moving beyond that point, because I'm not bitter at all, um, (laughs) I think that it was really – I think it was a successful finale. It was really touching, especially at Mm -hmm. the end. Um, it gave me the feels in a lot of ways that I wasn't expecting. I thought that it was really, really good. I loved how they brought back, you know, characters from the past, like, you know, Mrs. Rabbit, for example. Um, I thought that it was re- just really, really good overall, really sweet. Um, I can't, I don't want to talk specifics until we actually get to those plot points because I have a lot to say about stuff. But, yeah, I thought it was good. Right. Well, the episode started off right where last week, ended with Jafar and Amara casting that big spell so that they could break the laws of magic and Jafar's eyes kind of go milky and the music in that scene I hope seriously I I don't know who we need to talk to I hope that they are going to give us a soundtrack because Mark Isom does the music and 
his music for once is also really great, but I love the music and this entire episode and really throughout the season, but this, this whole, the music that he had going on there was really great. And I felt like the two characters kind of played off each other. And then, you know, Jafar is going to try and kill Amara because he's not very good at sharing as we, we saw. And he's interrupted by his father, the Sultan. I thought that this scene, it was so dark between the two of them, but it was so good. Like, it, oh, my God. I couldn't stop watching it. It was like, wow. Like, I wanted to watch it again almost immediately because those of you who watched the whole series, and if you haven't, by the way, right now, abc.com actually has it where you can binge watch. They have the whole thing available so that you can watch them one night after another. But in the early part of the season, those of you who watched, uh, Jafar's father, the Sultan, actually drowned him. He kind of cast him out. He didn't want anything to do with him. And his mother had died. He was all alone. Came to him for help. His father drowned him in a sink. So Jafar's been keeping his father prisoner pretty much the entire series. We've seen him since the beginning. And Jafar's father comes in, and he's basically telling him he's never going to love him. And Jafar's had enough of it, so his eyes kind of flash, and he changes that law right there where you can make someone love you and he makes his father love him and his father's like putting his hands on his face and holding his hand and telling him how proud he is of him and all these other things and he even kisses his hand and a tear falls out of Jafar's eye because you know you almost feel bad for him for a few minutes because this horrible thing has happened. And then Jafar tells them, well, the thing that I really want is for you to know what it's like to be murdered by someone you love. And then all of a sudden water starts pouring out of his father's mouth and ears, and he drowns just within himself. Like, he doesn't even need a tub or anything. He just drowns him. And I was like, wow, almost felt bad for you for a second. But I I don't know. I didn't like Jafar's father anyway. And even though he said in this scene, you know, you had to earn my love, I didn't feel like he ever gave him a chance, so I, I, I thought he was kind of a, a punk, Jafar's father there. But did, what did you think about that scene with Jafar drowning his father? I wasn't really, like, when he first made his dad, like, when, he, when Jafar first made the Sultan love him and he changed that law of magic, I really thought that, I wondered if that was going to be it. Like, is that really all Jafar wanted? Like, are the two of them going to, like, you know, walk happily hand-in-hand, raining terror on one's land and everywhere else? Like, is that what's going to occur? And then when he said, I want you to experience what it's like to be murdered by someone that you love, and then the water poured out of his ears and out of his mouth, I I actually gasped out loud. Really? Like, I really did, because even though it completely makes sense, and maybe I should have seen it coming. I didn't. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, I just watched The Red Wedding for the very first time on Friday. And let me tell you, I was not expecting any of that either. And it traumatized me so that I don't know if I can keep watching that show. because it's, Oh, my God. But, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Like, it was just, it was, and you know what? It's, and this is something I wanted to ask Richard about, too. This show is way darker than Once Upon a Time. And mm-hmm. this is a classic example. Jafar and his and the Sultan, their whole storyline from you know the flashbacks when he when Jafar was a child to the end when he killed him, uh, to when Jafar killed the Sultan rather. 
it's been far darker than Once Upon a Time. And part of me wonders if the reason why they put it on Thursdays instead of Sundays is because it does have a darker tone. I also wonder if that darker aspect of the of Wonderland was something that was part of it from the beginning or if it grew organically with the process as they were you know, as they were writing the episodes out. I'm really curious about that. That is something I do want to ask Richard about. But um anyways, I digress. Um yeah, it, it was just creepy. It's just super creepy. Um, I would hate to, I I would hate to to go out that way. So yeah, that that's just like and it's hard because like I feel bad for the soul because the dude just died. But at the same time, I know what a complete jerk he is. I know that he already right. tried to murder Jafar. So it's almost like it's he almost like watching somebody him. get executed for you know like capital punishment style for creating for committing a crime. Right. Um, you know, there's, it's a lot of mixed emotions, and, you know, and that's just another example of the way that these shows are so, you know, they're not just about fairy tales, like they, you know, or classic stories, like there's so much more going on to all this stuff, so, but yeah, that's my long-winded answer, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree, though, because while, I mean, what Jafar did to him was kind of horrible, he kind of deserved it. I mean, he did kill his own child because he didn't, it wasn't like he almost drowned Jafar. He drowned him. And we still don't 100% know what it was that brought him back, but it seemed to almost be like his mother's protection because in that episode, it, it reminded me, honestly, of Harry Potter because we saw like this sort of mist when Jafar's mother died and then we saw it again when he breathes again after he's been drowned. So I kind of that's the idea that I got that, you know, it, it just seemed like that's what they were going for. But I mean, yeah, he kind of got what he was, <laughs> you, you reap what you sow. So sorry about your luck there, buddy. Um, <laughs> after that. Pretty much. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, it's hard. But Amara, Jafar turns around because he's going to kill Amara. Like we said, he's not good at sharing. And she, Alice and Cyrus are gone. Cyrus has stabbed him last week with a, a shard from the mirror so he's bleeding and unconscious and Amara summons the rug the magic carpet which I was kind of excited to see again and they fly off to the rabbit where Amara is able to save Cyrus with her magic and they talk about how they have to build an army and back at the palace Jafar goes into the dungeons and this was one thing that I I, I wish this hadn't been the end of her because I had such great ideas for the Jabberwocky. We see Jafar in the dungeon, and he asks the Jabberwocky to tell him what he's afraid of now. And she kind of walks around and looks at him, and there's nothing. She's not picking up any fear from him at all. And he tells her, well, that's what ultimate power is. And then he takes out the Vorpal Blade and stabs it through her and binds her to the wall again. Uh, we saw last week and before that Jabberwocky actually was kind of a more sympathetic thought she had been because up until that point, we thought she'd only been evil and then she had the lines about, you know, she wasn't born a monster. She was made that way by a cruel world and cruel people. And so we kind of got an idea that maybe, you know, there was more to her story. So I, I don't know. What did you think about the ending of the Jabberwocky there in the episode back? Well, she didn't really get one. Yeah. And that that was that was um. I mean, granted, I wasn't as uh, 
I like the Jabberwocky character and all. I think that she, you know, obviously the Jabberwocky, the Jabberwock, the poem and everything, you know, has always been part of the Alice in Wonderland story, as has the, you know, the Vorpal Blade and everything. I like the fact that they incorporated it in. Richard made a really good point, too, for anybody, if you missed the interview or maybe you, you heard it last week, Richard did mention that, you know, they kind of had the option of whether, you know, do we make the Jabberwocky, you know, like a dragon, a CG character, and take a bunch of money out of the budget that could otherwise go other places and, you know, that kind of thing. Or could we make the Jabberwocky into a person, give them some emotions, some depth, and some things to play off of, and make a much more interesting character while also saving money on the budget. Frankly, I think they made the right decision. Um, okay. Having said that, uh, the Jabberwocky was never the most like interesting character to me on the show. She's cool, she's <laughs> awesome, she's creepy, she's terrifying. But she just, she was just kind of, you know, not really anybody that I that I you know missed seeing when she wasn't there. Like she was just. I was I was far more invested in uh, the like basically the five main characters Alice, Cyrus, Will, Anna, and Jafar. Um, yeah. And even honestly, at that point, like, and maybe it's because of the development that they gave her. I was also really right. interested to find out what was going to happen to Amara. Her character, right. her her story arc took a direction that I wasn't expecting, and I was really kind of interested to see that you know originally she seemed like this you know, just totally evil woman, you know, who who was just a bad person. She ended up being a, a more relatable, likable character in the end. So I, I was a lot more interested in her. Having said that, though, she didn't, um, the, the Jabberwocky, because I'm just going off here on a tangent, the Jabberwocky didn't really have an ending to me. Mm-hmm. She just kind of stuck against the wall. Um, there was no... And I realize you can't wrap up every loose end, but that's that's a loose end that I was kind of like, you know, um, I would have liked to have seen something more happen to her. Like maybe, you know, maybe, you know, Alice achieves some ultimate bravery and, you know, defeats her or something. I don't know. Some, maybe Anastasia does it. Shoot, I don't know, somebody. But it just it seemed like she just didn't get an ending. Having said that, it's mm-hmm. nice to know that somewhere in Wonderland the Jabberwocky is still around. Like she's not dead or anything. Right. But, you know. <laughs> So, you know, whatever. I liked the Jabberwocky. I thought she was a great addition. I didn't really love her until I started, I got the theory in my head that I've told you all about before that I asked Richard about last week, and he said of all the versions that they wrote in the writer's room, my theory was not one that ever even came up. So <laughs> once once we knew that my theory was not right, um, I kind of it was so weird. I kind of became obsessed with it. it. I have never in my life ever written a stitch of fan fiction. I've never written anything even remotely based on a show or another story or anything like that. But I had this weird theory about the Jabberwocky was going to turn out to be Alice's long, quote-unquote, dead or missing mother that they had mentioned based on the fact that, you know, she said that she wasn't born that way, she was made. And, I mean, it just kept, I don't know, I felt so strongly about it that I was actually compelled to put it out on paper and I started writing. And I thought, well, if I can just write out my ideas in a few paragraphs, I'll have it for myself and I'll be done. And it, I've just started it and I'm at two pages and a paragraph because it just keeps kind of growing and 
Like I've, I've, this is, I'm so in love with my theory. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So I don't know. I might, I haven't decided if I'm going to make it public where you guys, where anybody can read it at all, but I don't know. It just kind of grew into its own thing. I've never before been like compelled and absolutely had something eating at my brain this way that I felt like I had to get it out and get it onto paper. So I think that's kind of a good testament to the, you know, the show as a whole that it can inspire something like that. Now I understand where people come from that want to write, you know, fan fiction and things like that. But yeah, in my version of the story, she's, you know, she has a definite motivation and there's a reason. And I know my beginning, middle and end, just getting it all into paper, you know, it's just, I don't know. I'm kind of, so ever since then, I've been kind of obsessed with her. I've given her a name. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I've, I've got her history like in my head. So anyway, that's why I'm, I'm kind of attached to, to Jabber right now. I'm, I'm attached to that character, but I, I, I like that she wasn't killed off because the Warple Blade didn't kill her. It just stuck her to the wall there. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that she wasn't dead. I'm glad that Jafar didn't end up dead at the end either. And I don't think that's the last that we've seen of him. So, oh, no. I, I, do you agree? Oh, definitely. Do you think we're going to see uh, him again? Yeah, I do. Um, I kind of wonder, um, and he, well, and <laughs> I kind of wonder. <laughs> um, yeah. and it's curious. Speaking of curious things, um, episode 19 of Once Upon a Time, season three, the one that is after Bleeding Through, Bleeding Through is the episode that I mentioned earlier in the podcast where we get the flashback with young Cora. Mm -hmm. So that's in two weeks. The episode after that is called A Curious Thing, and it was written by Eddie and Adam. And I really wonder if, you know, going beyond Will Scarlet, I wonder if there are other Wonderland characters who will be making an appearance on Once Upon a Time, particularly in that episode. Because Jafar did, even though, you know, and we're kind of skipping ahead on the Wonderland stuff, but even though Jafar was not defeated, he's, he, he did change the laws of magic. So, like, his ending, did that mean that they were changed back to the way that they had been before? Or does that mean that he changed the laws of magic and they stayed changed until he decides otherwise? Um, or, you know, did, did Amara... Did did the end of her storyline mean that I'm trying to be so spoiler free about this, even though we're talking about it later on? Um, you know, was the end of her storyline? You know, did that negate the laws of magic changing because it took the two of them to do it? Um, you know, I don't know, but I certainly think that with Selena wanting to change the past and Jafar having that ability, it makes me wonder if Jafar will end up showing up on Once Upon a Time to help Selena out. Yeah, I do, I do kind of wonder about that. Yeah. I I think so, and I think he will, even if it's not this season. I I have a feeling that he might be the new big bad we're getting next season. I don't like. I haven't seen any spoiler. I don't even know if there are any spoilers. I doubt it because they you know they just finished wrapping season three, so nothing's been filmed or shot or you know, finished for season four. But I have a feeling that because he didn't die, and his bottle just vanishes at the end. And, you know, we'll get to the end scene in a few minutes. But, yeah, I think that he's going to to reappear on Once Upon a Time. So uh, yeah, I, I think it would be kind of a waste if they didn't. Um, as, as much as I love seeing Agrabah and, you know, 
the Jafar and everything on Wonderland, that man needs to interact with Storybrooke people. Um, I yes. just as as a Disney fan, I want Aladdin and Jasmine. They're like one of the only major couples, one of the two of the only major characters that we have not seen yet out of the Disney library. And uh, you know, especially particularly in what's known as um, the the Disney Renaissance, which started with um, well, most people consider it to have started with The Little Mermaid. Other the people Mermaid, consider it right. with Oliver and Company, but um, the Little Mermaid is what kicked it off, and you know, then we got Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, and you know, The Lion King and Pocahontas. Like, remember that period of time of Disney movies? There, yes. we have not, seen, we haven't seen Aladdin and Jasmine yet, and we need to. Um, I have a theory that Amara's youngest son, you know, Cyrus's youngest brother, is Aladdin. Um, I've had uh-huh. that theory for a long time, and even though we never got an answer to that in Wonderland, and I was kind of hoping that we would. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they cut it for time reasons. That, that is what I think. I, I do think that Amara's youngest son is Aladdin and that, you know, potentially we could see, you know, Aladdin and Jasmine finally making their appearance on Once Upon a Time. Because they, they need to. They, they certainly need to. Um, right. And you, know, you I, had I, asked I, Richard about that last week, and he was a little a little teasy, a little vague <laughs> about the answer. So it makes me wonder for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really curious about that. I, I, it's a curious thing, um, you know, because I mean, Alice could show up. I mean, there are so many things, and it's funny because you're sitting here, you're talking about your, uh, your alternate version of the story that you're writing, where the Jabberwocky is Alice's mom. Of course, Amy, you know this privately, but I have my own version of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland that plays out in my head, where. Oh, no. You know what? I think I'm going to wait, because, Amy, you know what I'm talking about, but I think I want to wait until we get to the discussion of the end of the episode for that, because that's, mm-hmm. that's when it would make more sense. So, yeah, please, let's, let's get on to, to whatever you want to, wherever you want to bring us next, babe. Okay. Well, after, you know, Jafar kind of, he kills off his dad, and then we, he loses Amara and Cyrus and Alice. They have run off to the rabbit's house or flown off on the magic carpet. He then tells Will, he's like, it's your lucky day, Will Scarlet. I'm going to keep my promise and break another law of magic. And he's brought Anastasia back from the dead. And she walks in, you know, looking gorgeous, like she hasn't been dead at all. And Will's thanking Jafar. And Jafar's like, oh, no, you really don't have to thank me, seriously. And then she walks over and tells Will that she loves someone else. Jafar's made her fall in love with him or think she's in love with him. And so they kind of have, you know, a little make-out session in front of poor Will. So, you know, I, just, I don't know why he wants to torture Will. He's just so bad. But, I don't, yeah, I've, I was like, aw, poor Will. He's stuck what, in this no, magic triangle. About when he's sitting there and he made Anastasia, like, love him or whatever, it is mm-hmm. a little bit like Jasmine in Aladdin when she, like, faked that she loved Jafar so she could help Aladdin get out of, the, you know, the, 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 the what is it called? But he was trying to that, steal the lamp back, so she distracted him in the cartoon. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, I thought she was lying at first. Yeah, see, me too. And I thought it was going to be the same kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, Jasmine in that scene, she wears a red outfit, and, you know, obviously so was Anastasia. She's the Red Queen. So um, you know, there, there was a parallel there, certainly. One could, one could draw a line between those two characters and events and see what was 
what was going on there. I thought that was interesting. You know what? And it's a, and this is kind of jumping totally off topic of what we're talking about, but it it just sprang to my mind. Um, didn't you love that we found out that the white rabbit's first name is Percy? <laughs> yes, I love that. I was because it's a small thing. It's so cute. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, and they were like, she called him Percy, and I, and I thought I had heard it wrong. I'm like, did she just call him Percy? And then she said it again later. I was like, oh, my God, that's so cute. I'm glad he has a name instead of just Rabbit. But that was so, I love that. I love that they made all the different characters so, I don't know, so individual and unique. I've, I've said a million times, I thought the writing on this series was just so smart and so clever and here and there, they'd put in a line or something, even if it was in the background, but it was something specific from the original book that was written in the 1800s. And just the little stuff I loved. I loved that dandelion. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with that dandelion. I don't know what happened to that prop, but if any of our prop people are listening, I want that dandelion. So, you know, I'm willing to, to pay in top-quality homemade chocolate chip cookies if someone's willing to... Uh, Send me that dandelion. So I don't, I'm obsessed with that prostitute. I don't have any money to pay you, but I can make a mean cookie. But, yeah, I so many things. Oh, my God. I wish I could just do my house and all the props from that show. Just so cute. Yeah, I, I, that, that's my thing, too, because we've all talked. Well, you know, on the Once Upon a Fan staff, at least, we all have talked privately and sometimes publicly about the uh, the general lack of – of um, interesting, shall we say, merchandise from ABC's part. You know, we have a lot of, you know, great T-shirts, cups, mouse pads, you know, things that you can buy like that. You can also get some stuff at Hot Topic. But I know that for some of us, uh, you know, a lot of people, they like to collect prop replicas. I know that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I yeah. have a prop replica of Emma's uh, room key from Granny's as well as her, her sheriff's badge. And once upon a time, I used to have a copy of Henry's Storybook, too, but that went, you know, that made us some money for cancer research, so that's okay that I don't have that anymore, but, because um, I'll just, I'll get another one one day. But, I mean, for the props, you know, there there are things that I want, like from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. I want the Three Genies bottles. I want them. Yes. I so want so them as decorations. And Wonderland looks like just like Sydney. Yeah, you know, like I, I want to know more. Yeah, what, what is the deal with that? Like, there needs to be some explanation there. Like, may, is Sydney like one of Cyrus's brothers? Did he end up back in a lamp? I just, I need, I need to know. There are just things that I need to know. But yeah, like I want the, I want the three genies lamps for, you know, my for like a prop or you know like Rumpelstiltskin's, you know, the dark one dagger. Um, mm. You know, I want those. I want, I want the box that Regina puts Graham's heart in from season one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want that stuff. Um, those, those are the kinds of things that I'm really, really interested in. So it's, it's sad to me that they, that we don't have them because it's like ABC. Please take my money. Like, why won't you take my money? Please take my money. Like, <laughs> I, I want you to take it. I want these things, please. So, yeah, I see Katie is saying in the room that she wants the unicorn mobile. Absolutely. I would love yeah. to get Emma's mobile. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like a bottle of true love or, you know, potion or, you know, like just there's so many things that they could do on the show. So many chips, the chips cup for crying out loud. Um, 
you know, there, there are just so many things. And I know that you can go on eBay and stuff, and you can find people who make these kind of prop replicas, and they really are high quality too. I mean, they're, they're, they're top-notch stuff. They're a little bit more expensive because, you know, they're not being made by a major manufacturer. They're being made on a smaller scale, so you've got to pay a little bit more, which is okay. But, you know, there's not – I mean, not everybody has made a money for a certain, you know, by any means. And sometimes, you know, you just really want to get some stuff. So, yeah, anyways. Yeah, like Sarah is saying, you know, Sarah Benedict in the room, she's saying Pandora's box would be fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sure would. Um, you're like the blue fairy's wand, the black fairy's wand. Uh, there's just there's so many there are so many things you know that like if I could I would just have a display case only instead of my grandmother's china I would just have once upon a time prop replicas like that's all it would be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I wish that there would be you know more of that stuff. And you know, and I'm thinking about Wonderland too. I love that Whoopi Goldberg was back as as the rabbit's wife. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm really, really happy about that because I think that she's a great character and I love Whoopi Goldberg anyway, so I have no shame in saying that. So I was just happy to see her back. Um, though, okay, so yeah, then they, isn't it they go to the, to the Well of Wonders? We've got to get to the end of the, we've got to get to the end of the episode because I have got, I, we've, we've got to. There, I have so many things to say. Yes. So, yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I love Jafar gets his army from, oh, I thought, oh, another thing that I thought was so smart that I loved, he pulls his knight back from the dead, and their tombstones are the knight pieces from a chest set. Oh, my God. Yes. I thought, loved I was it. like, I love that. Oh, I was, like, tweeting. I'm like, okay, that's it. My tombstone's going to be the queen piece of a chest set. <laughs> Everybody, make sure that happens, so... I, I thought that was so smart. So he's got this whole army of undead, and you know, there's a there's we do see a battle off, and they he they capture Alice and take her back to the to the the chess palace, which I love also again with the chess. And I don't play chess. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with all the chess imagery, other than that it's so long. But I I absolutely love that, and they do split up, and they're uh, Cyrus and Amara head back to the well. And that's another, that was another scene that was kind of emotional. There was a lot of, I know, I love this, this whole episode and I felt like it tied things up for most of the stories really well, but it was definitely kind of a punch you right in the heart, you know, with a, a, a heavy object kind of thing. It was, it was the finale and there were so many moments that were just like, oh, rip your heart right out. And the moment at the well was definitely one of them. And the, while that oh. was happening, we have the whole thing with Jafar. He's got Alice captured at the castle, and he's telling her that he's going to <clears throat> change the past and make it so she never met Cyrus. Which is just, ugh, he takes her ring. It's horrible. So bad. Yeah, the, so, the, so. Uh, the scene at the well, like, first of all, I love the fact that there is both a well of wonders and a cave of wonders, and I would love to get to the cave of wonders one day. That is definitely yes. something that I want to see that I'm really looking forward to. Um, having, you know, having said that, too, I think that um, – God, there are so many things. I keep thinking about this. I'm sorry. I, I'm jumping ahead. I know. I keep thinking about – 
I keep thinking about the last scenes, the way that the show actually ended. Um, right. Was just, oh, beautiful. Not, I mean, not only the cinematography, which was absolutely gorgeous, not only the set, you know, like the props, the way that they dressed it, what Alice was wearing, what they were all wearing for that matter. Um, you know, the very, very, very ending scenes of, you know, just, oh, God. Amy, this, I'm, you're, leading the, you're leading the charge on this one. That's why I'm not jumping ahead. But, oh, my God, this episode was so, like, there was so much. Like, it's really, it's bittersweet is what it is. It's, it's a bittersweet episode. I agree. And I honestly, I didn't expect to be as, like, emotionally affected as I was. Because I don't generally, like, cry at TV shows, even with Once Upon a Time, which obviously I love and adore. And, but I rarely ever just cry. Like, I might get a little misty-eyed here and there once in a while. So I'm not, like, a crier over TV shows. I did shed a few tears at the end of the first half of Season 3 when Emma drove away in the bug. Now, I will say that. That, that just kind of broke me right there. But... I didn't expect to cry at the end of Wonderland, and I did. Like, I was I was oddly emotional about the end of it. And I don't know, maybe it, it started off kind of early because Sophie Lowe, who plays Alice, was talking about how she was going to do the Ask Alice session, and she's like, okay, guys, for the last time, Ask Alice. And I was like, oh, the last time. And then, yeah, by the end of the episode, I was, like, sniffling like an idiot, so... Yeah, I, it was definitely emotional, and I'm kind of torn between my favorite scene because, like you, I'm madly in love with the ending of the episode, but the scene at the well, I absolutely loved. We've got Cyrus and Amara who have gotten to the Well of Wonders, and the Nyx is there. Cyrus is reluctant to release his mother, but the only way to break the curse, which frees the genies, his brothers, puts an end to everything that's happened is to return the water to the well. And unfortunately the water is within Amara. So there is no way to do it other than her. Sorry, excuse my voice. Other than her giving up her life and returning the water. So Amara agrees to do that. She hugs Cyrus. She's going to step towards the well and Jafar shows up, and he uses magic to pull her back, and then he kills her with some kind of glass or something, and she falls to the ground. And then as she's on the ground, she's slowly turning into water. And I love that Alice comes blasting through the ground. You have the rabbit with, you know, creating a portal. He brings Alice there. At this point, Amara has totally turned to water, and she's, you know, she's sort of facing off against Jafar and he tells her, you know, how does this feel? You know, I'm going to, knowing that I've beat you, you know, you can't win and I've won. And she tells him, I'm not going to defeat you. And she yells to Cyrus, do it now. And he picks up water and you could, it was, I just thought it was so good because she, they obviously, kind of knew this was how it was going to play out and it just almost like they had it planned. Cyrus goes to dump the water back in. Jafar takes it after Cyrus says, Nix, I return this water to you. And Jafar pulls it with magic out of the air towards him and then smashes it 
and asks Alice, well, now what are you going to do? Because I've taken your water. And she tells him just absolute matter of fact because she knows that she's won at this point. And she tells him, I'm not going to do anything because you didn't steal that water from me. You stole it from her. And Jafar, you could see it as safe. He's freaking the heck out, turns around. The Nyx has come up out of the well. Obviously, she, I don't know exactly what the lore is behind the Nyx, but she's obviously super powerful because Jafar is not even remotely able to compete. And she says the same thing to him that she said to Cyrus and his brothers when she cursed them about him having to be a slave to the desire of others. And she traps him in that bottle. And I was like, ah, I love that. So clever. Jafar didn't die, which means we can see him again, which is great because I think he's an amazing villain. I love when Alice was just so matter-of-fact and told him, you know, you didn't steal it from me. You stole it from her. I was like, yeah. It was so good. So I'm torn between that and the very ending as my favorite scenes of the night. I am torn as well between different stuff. Um, number one, as far as the, you know, the, whatever, the, the guardian of the Well of Wonders, the whatever she's called, mm-hmm. what is she? The Nick. The, the Nick. Her. What yeah. you don't see, here, here, here's what you don't see, everybody. After she sinks back down into the water in the Well of Wonders, she rises up out of water in another well and then crawls out of your TV and kills you within seven days if you've already watched the video. So when she sinks into the water, she just turns into the chick from the grudge or the ring or whatever, right? So yes. that, that's what I think it's, it's the stuff that you just don't know. She's from the ring. So, you know, she sinks into that water. She comes up from the island. She kills people. She goes back into the well. She comes out in Wonderland. She screws with people again. And then she, you know, it's just for peace for her. She's got a really sad life if you think about it. She just started killing people and making them miserable. So, well, the um, a hobby. Well, yeah, you know, well, she can't think of knitting for crying out loud. She's in water all the time. All the yarn would there get stuck go. together. Ask Laura, ask Laura Foster. So, um, anyways, um, my favorite scenes, I am torn between the very ending, which we're going to get to momentarily, and um, the scene where Anna remembers Will, where he's, because she uh. says, when they're talking, when they're talking about love, and he says, and she says, or he says that she had love once before, and that she knows it's not perfect, and she says, but it can be, and he said, no, it's messy. It means arguing and making up and laughing, and and you know, at the very end, no matter what, you forgive each other because you love each other, and I forgive you because I love you. And he's and she and she's like, if this isn't real love, then what is? And he says this, and he reaches through the barrier. And he pulls her to him, and they kiss, and it's true love's kiss, and the rainbow light spreads out. It's just like Once Upon a Time. The music swells. She remembers. It's, oh, God, it's so good. Such, oh, it's yes. so good. And then, and then, after that, she walks away. She, like, backs away, and she tells him that if he's going to defeat the far, he better hurry up. He better hurry and then, he, he, he tries to go to her, and he gets hit by the force field and falls down on the floor, and she just laughs and turns around and goes to free Alice. That yes. is why I love Anastasia and Will, because they have the kind of relationship where, they can, where that happens. Like, it's just, we're, and it's sweet. Like, they're sweet on each other, and they're, and they're just sweet together. And 
Oh, God. I love I'm that such a, too. I'm such a softie, really, at heart. You may have noticed this when you're listening to this podcast or any of the other ones. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm a big old softie. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I absolutely, I adore that scene because it's just sweet. And honestly, and here's what sells it for me. It's Emma Rigby's performance. Mm. The way that she says, if, when she walks up to Will and she says, if this isn't love, then what is? She's got tears in her face, and her, you know, her mouth is, like, trembling, and she just, she looks so beautiful and sad at the same time. Like, I really, I think that out of all of the people on this show, the person who has impressed me the most with their acting is Emma Rigby. All due respect to Michael Saka, he is great, but I think that Emma Rigby, for me, is the standout performance of this entire show and you know and it's and i think that they even recognize that because richard even said in the interview that originally the plan for the red queen did not include you know the trajectory that her story took they they didn't really have anything in place but it was not planned for it to be that way and i know in the beginning a lot of people thought that she was supposed to be like you know like regina redone you know only not and I never had that impression of her, and especially the way that they took her character at the end. She is way different from Regina. And I think right. that that's an unfair comparison because there can only be one Regina. There can only be one evil queen. And I mm. think that the Red Queen is just a very different person. So, yeah, but I'm torn between that as my favorite scene and the very end. Can we please talk about that now because I'm dying. I'm dying yes. too. I think, yeah, we definitely have to talk about the wedding. This was, un- the wedding was some of the most beautiful cinematography I've ever oh. seen. And I loved that most of it was wordless. It was music and it was, you know, yes. subtle movements and the people and, you know, the name stands up and objects, you know, to be funny. You don't hear it, but you can see that's what he's saying. And Anna's like, oh, oh my God, sit down. You're totally embarrassing me. <laughs> but I, uh, there was so much about the wedding that I loved. I, I, yeah, I, I can't even put it into words yet. So why don't you tell me what you think about it so I can kind of gather my thoughts around it. I think that it's really sweet. I agree with you on the cinematography. I even commented on that um, kind of privately when I was watching. Um, mm. The thing that I love about this, and when I say cinematography, this is, this is what I'm talking about. When you watch that wedding and the camera is behind the plants or the flowers, and you can still see them in frame, but they're out of focus. And you can mm-hmm. see the characters instead. You can see Alice in her wedding dress. You can see you know, Anastasia and Will in the audience. You can see the Tweedle. You can see, you know, you can see all of them. It's gorgeous. There is, there's one shot where it's just after, and I've, memor- I've watched it so many times that I've got the music memorized. The cello starts to play. It's got a solo. There's a cello solo that plays, and there's this shot of Will and Anastasia, and Will looks at Anastasia, and she looks at him, it's really quick, really slow, mm-hmm. really subtle. But there, they are, like, what the, you could tell that the flowers that are in front of the camera, they were out of focus because you're focused on the characters. That is mm-hmm. one of the most beautiful shots of the entire episode and really of the entire show, um, either one of them. That was such a great use of, of, of camera work. It was really good 
just the, the shot composition itself was good. Like, they had good mise en scene with all the things that were in the scene. Like, and I know that I'm talking about stuff that is probably going over the head of a lot of you. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's my schooling coming, you know, rearing its ugly head or rearing its gorgeous head, actually, now that I'm watching this stuff. But it was just beautiful. I loved the flowers. Like, it actually made me think about my own wedding, which is, like, I'm not even, like, engaged or anything. But it still made me think of my own wedding and what I wanted it to look like because it was just beautiful, the white flowers and the ivy and the way that it wrapped around the pillars and the furniture. And it was so Victorian. And, you know, um, Alice's stepmom had on just such a gorgeous, classic Victorian outfit. You know, um, Cyrus looked so great in his tux with his hair done. You know, Will, Will and Anastasia, their clothes, oh, my gosh. Like, it was, I was it in was love just, with the lavender. I loved that they were yeah. in lavender. Absolutely. Oh. It, was, it was just gorgeous. You know what I mean? Um, and what's funny is that in, in television and film, when something, like, there's a book, actually, that discusses this. It's called, If It's Purple, Something's Gonna Die. Isn't it so funny that after the Red Queen died, then we see her wearing purple? That, I mean, it totally makes sense. And if anybody, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast and you know how I am about, you know, color and the use of it on the show, if you want to know more about that kind of thing and how color and, and stuff is used to, as a metaphor, as a storytelling technique, I highly recommend that you pick up that book by Patty Bellatoni, I think her name is. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I, use, I mean, they use it all over the place in all kinds of different productions. And it's really, really fascinating study on color theory and how you can use color as a storytelling device. So if, yeah, if you're interested, it's called If It's Purple, Something's Going to Die. It's actually the book that I read that kind of got me jump-started on the whole, you know, what red means on the show, because red means power and stuff. So anyways, um, yeah, the lavender clothes were gorgeous. The music is just, this, this is why I need the soundtrack for the show. I need it like air, because the music that plays during the wedding scenes is just beautiful. It's just, yes. I mean, it's what, and it's funny because I hear it, and to me, that's what love would sound like. Mm-hmm. Like, if love had a sound, that's what it would be. It would be this, like, Alice and Cyrus, their theme. Like, it's, it's just so, oh, it's so good. It's so romantic. I'm such a softy. I don't even care, though. Like, it's just <laughs> so good. Like, it was beautiful. And then after the wedding, when everybody goes home to Wonderland, Amy, I was heartbroken when Emma Rigby, when she like when when Anastasia hugs Alice and she's got the tears in her eyes and then she says goodbye and she walks away. I was yeah. heartbroken because I was really realizing that I'm not like there's a chance that I'll see them again on Once Upon a Time, but I'm never going to get to see these characters again in Wonderland or anything. Maybe, I you know, love maybe that a slant, Alice ran that. after the knave. I thought yes. that was so ridiculously. We, like I started crying again at that moment <laughs> because I was like, you know, you can see that, you know, they're they're such good friends and they're really going to miss each other. And I, it just seemed like something that they would do. I just, I thought that that was fantastic. And it's so funny that yeah, you Ro- mentioned Rose that in the chat room. Oh, sorry, real quick. Rose is saying in the chat room that it was like we were <laughs> hugging them goodbye too. That is exactly how yes. I felt, Rose. I felt like I was hugging these people goodbye. Yes. I felt like we were saying goodbye, and I think that's another reason why I got so emotional over the episode. And it's so funny that you mentioned that it made you think about your own wedding, because I am married, but um, my husband and I 
we didn't we never had a ceremony. We had a wedding planned and because of life events and getting sick and things that happened, yeah, I don't want to give you a whole sob story, but anyway, we had to cancel. So we never got to have our ceremony. And we ended up just signing, you know, getting a marriage license notarized by a friend of ours in the parking lot of our kids' elementary school. So we have always wanted to have, you know, go back and have a, a little ceremony. And so we were watching this, and that's what it made me think of, too. I was like, wow, this is not anything I'd ever thought of for a ceremony, you know, the whole Victorian thing, but I loved it, and that's what it made me think of. I was like, wow, I've if I could have something just even small like that, that's just beautiful. And I, I agree that it was gorgeous, and the music was amazing, but it was just so emotional. And then after that, we get to the scene where it kind of flashes forward to, oh. you know, we've, I oh, just grabbed your heart. We've had to say goodbye, and then we see in the book, and I do want to mention, I had a couple people ask me, if I notice that in the book that Alice is reading to her daughter that the white queen and king look like Anna and Will, and that that is what it's supposed to be. They, I had, you know, I mentioned that to a few people that had asked about it. That that is who it's supposed to be. They went back and ruled as the white king and queen. So, so I love that the rabbit was there. So it wasn't ending and like in being like oh, well, this was all just a story. Because I was like, oh, no, are they going to make it so that, you know, she was just telling a story, but then it showed the rabbit. So I was like, oh, okay. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, and that was when, um, and it's actually funny because her, in that scene, what I love the most is that um, Alice's daughter asks her what she's going to call her story, and she doesn't know. And her daughter says that she thinks that she should name it Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're, I'm sure for, for those of you who are, you know, into fairy tales and Disney and, you know, classic literature and things like that, then I'm sure you know that originally, like, the, the Lewis Carroll book is called Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and then its sequel is called Alice Through the Looking Glass. Well, right, Amy? That is the case, right? Am I wrong? I'm not wrong, am I? Yeah, yeah, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is the, the first okay. book. I, but so, I love that, that they it, mentioned that. Yes, me too. And and that was what gave me an idea. And it's and this is what I was talking about earlier, you guys, when I was talking about the the scene where I had a and like my own version of Wonderland playing out in my head, but I couldn't talk about it earlier in the show. Now is the time for me to talk about it. So when I saw that Alice had named, you know, was going to name the story Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, it suddenly occurred to me like this is the idea that I had. Wouldn't it be so cool if Alice's maiden name was Carol? And her father, even though we know his first name is Edwin, what if her father was Edwin Lewis Carroll? And she wrote her entire story of Wonderland, and it's real. She gave it to him because he's a, a, you know, an author or a publisher, or he works in the book industry. And he publishes her story as a fiction novel, but it's actually true. And that's why we have the book. And it all goes with what... You know, the White Rabbit said to Alice right at the end of, or excuse me, what Percy Rabbit said to Alice right before he went home to Wonderland, where he says that, you know, only the true people, you know, only very few people know that going to Wonderland is is to go on a journey to find yourself. And I think it would just be so poetic in my little universe here if Alice wrote that book and that her father published it so that other people 
could also go and find themselves. Now, Angie is saying in the chat room that Alice's world coexists with our world. I, Angie, I, can you elaborate on that a little bit in, in the chat room? Because I don't know what you mean. Because I know that from what I understand, Alice, like the Alice from Wonderland, does not live in like the Victorian England of our past. She lives in a Victorian England land, like a land of story, I think is what Adam and Eddie call it. Right, so, Adam and Eddie said in the Once Upon a Time world that Alice was from, I believe they said she was from fictional Victorian England. Right. I'll have to but go I, back but, and look at I, the interview. Yeah, I need to look that up too. Because see, here was, here was my other thing, right, to kind of spread into this. We never got an answer on Alice's stepmom, Sarah. And that is something that I, I mentioned earlier. I want to ask Richard about it. So my idea to go along with this whole theory of mine or this whole fantasy, you know, my own version of Once Upon a Time Wonderland is that Alice's stepmother, Sarah, works for the home office from Once hmm. Upon a Time, people who sent Tamara and Greg to go get Henry. She works with the home office in order to stop the spread of magic, not just to the land without magic, but to all of them to keep magic contained where it is currently and to stop it from spreading into other places. So that's what happens and that's what's happening in in my own world. Yeah, Angie is saying now that Alice is from a fictional London and it coexists with the modern world. Well, okay. But I still think it would be really fun. Like in my in my world, you know, people, you know, cats wouldn't say meow. You would say, Yes, Miss Alice. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, so, in, so in my world, that's what's happening. Like that's, in that's, a world of that's my own. My preferred, that's my preferred imagined ending for Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Alice is Alice Carroll. Her dad is Edwin mm-hmm. Lewis Carroll. They wrote the book. It's all real. It all really happened. Sarah works for the home office to stop the spread of magic. That's why she was such a creeper. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> And nobody punched her in the face in the episode. I was like, man. Yeah, but it's, real, it, it's so funny because after talking to Zach about my Jabberwocky story that I'm putting down on paper and talking to him about his theory, I actually have gone, and Zach knows this, so I'm not, you know, ripping him off. <laughs> if I ever do decide to publish my story, I am 100% giving him credit for the idea that Alice's father is Edwin Lewis Carroll, because that I changed just bits and pieces. Like I said, I've only got two pages and a paragraph, but originally, you know, because I'm creating it as where Alice is first born is where my story starts. So Jabberwocky is her mother, and, you know, we have the same character as her father. And originally, I was just going to have him being a lawyer in the city, so that's why he's away from home a lot. But after talking to Zach, I love his idea so much that I've changed it, and I haven't included that his middle name is Lewis or anything like that at all, but I did change his occupation in the line from lawyer to publisher so that, you know, down the line, if I do publish it, I'm 100%, you know, putting Zach on there as that was his idea because I love that idea so much. Like I can't even express in words what a great idea I think that is. And it goes so good. Like I, I almost want to finish my story just so you can write the second half because mine will kind of end where yours picks up because my, you know, my ideas on Jabber kind of end where Wonderland had her, where she sees Alice. So you know, my my whole theory is based on her past and 
her need to get rid of her own fears about, you know, being a mother and, you know, trying to do what's right and not feeling adequate, not feeling, you know, good enough and feeling like she's afraid all the time, fear of, you know, not being what her child needs. So I would love to finish my story and then have that pick up and put his right behind it. Well, I'm down for that. If you want to co-author some fan fiction, honey, let's do it. I'm totally down let's for that. Do I love it. So. Um, you know, and it's funny, too, that you, that you mentioned in the book that it showed that, you know, the white queen and the white king looked like Will and Anastasia. I really wonder if that, if that story about, of how they became, the, you know, like the, the white king and queen, I wonder if that would have been like the second season of Wonderland. Oh, good point. Because if they had like, to I, I did wonder that. Like, I wonder if maybe they like if they had to shoehorn it in there somehow, and so that's how they did it. Like they could, they weren't actually going to get a second season, so they just wrote Alice. You know, had Alice write a story explaining that that's what happened because they didn't get a chance to show us. I wonder because that's a good point. Because yes, this was decided that it was going to just be a one season miniseries about this storyline. So we could have had a second season of Wonderland and we would have had a different story to tell. So that's a good point. It totally could have been the White Queen and King. I think that would have been great to see that. But obviously we're not going to... Yeah, that would have been a whole other story about, you know, the, the struggle for the rise to power. They would have had another, you know, another, well, not villain, but they would have had somebody else to, you know, deal with. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I wish, I do think that I really am pretty sure, I mean, I don't run the show. I don't write it or anything. I don't know for sure. But I, I do think that that would have been the case. Um, and so on that note, I just want to say um, one last quick note that I am really, really sad that Wonderland has been canceled. I know there's nothing we can do about it. Done is done. But... I heard a lot of people, I heard a lot of people who were watching Wonderland, especially after it came back for the spring premiere, I heard a lot of people saying that they, you know, the show was really starting to pick up and that it was really getting interesting and really getting really good and they couldn't wait to see where it was going to go. And now it's over. Uh It's just really sad. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little sad about that. Well, we have about a minute and a half left of our podcast, you guys. And so rather than doing our 10 seconds left goodbye, we actually have time for a, a real wrap-up this time. So um, thank you very much for listening, you guys. Uh, we've had two two-hour podcast episodes in a row for the last two weeks. And I know, you know, that, you know, sometimes listening to a two-hour podcast, I mean, it's like going to a movie. It's a commitment, like, you know, to listen. So for everybody who listens live with us, when you join us in the chat room, you're listening live, or even if you downloaded this after the fact, you're, you're listening to it now and, you know, it's long been over, we really do appreciate you guys taking the time out to listen to the podcast and join us every week and be part of our audience. We really love interacting with everybody in the chat room and everything. So we just want to, you know, say thank you really quick to all of our listeners because we do appreciate you. And if you want any more information about Once Upon a Time or Wonderland, our website is onceuponafans.com. Our editor is Gareth Hughes. We've got 
10 staff members. We've got fan fiction, fan art, origins articles, San Diego Comic-Con stories, um, fan theories, videos, um, pictures. I mean, we've got everything that you can need. We are the number one fan site for Once Upon a Time and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, so you can go check us out there. Um, I also have 10 seconds left, so really quick, thank you to every single cast and crew member who worked on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, too. And that's going to be it for me. Bye. Good night.